Hello everyone, this is Pastor Jay Tyler from Holt Assembly of God, and I want to thank you for listening to this broadcast of Life in the Spirit. I pray that you are challenged, blessed, and encouraged as you hear God's Word shared in this message. We're continuing in our series, uh, The Four Promises, and this is the, the fourth message last week, or next week, excuse me, will be the fifth uh, message and will conclude the series. But here's the big idea behind the series. If you've forgotten, for 3,500 years, uh, the Jewish people have, have uh, celebrated Passover, and at every Passover for 3,500 years, they've been reading from Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. And there are four promises that are contained in those verses. Let's look at that verse now, Exodus 6, chapter, chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. So when Jesus sat down to eat what we call the Last Supper, it was a Passover meal. And so as he sits down with his, his disciples at that Passover meal, these four promises and these two verses would have been read at that Last Supper. Because again, it's a Passover meal, and the Jews for 3,500 years have been doing this. So it's nothing new. And with each promise, they commemorate that promise with a cup of wine. They're commemorating the fact that uh, God had freed them 3,500 years earlier from slavery to Egypt. And again, these four promises are present because they have a promise for the past, they have a promise for today, and they have a promise for the future. But again, what are those four promises? I will bring you out, I will free you, I will redeem you, I will make you my people and be your God. So what do these promises have to do with us today? And like many of the promises of God, there is, an, there is an initial fulfillment, and then there's the ultimate fulfillment of that promise. And these four promises are no different. They had an initial fulfillment, and they have a future fulfillment. You know, the Jewish people to this day read these four promises looking back and looking forward, because they believe that when Messiah comes, the ultimate fulfillment of these promises take place. But good news, he's already came, Amen. And his name is Jesus, and he is our Messiah. We have the ultimate fulfillment of these promises in Christ. So look at what Paul writes, 1 Corinthians 5, 7, for indeed Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. So Jesus is our Passover. He is the Passover lamb. He is the lamb of God. In 2 Corinthians, Paul writes this, in chapter 1, verse 20, for all the promises of God in him, in Christ, are yes and amen for the glory of God through us. So what an incredible verse. The death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus gives us access to these promises and we can experience their fulfillment. So every one of us should want to experience the fulfillment of these four promises. And each of these four promises that are represented by the cup have a name. Each cup has a name during the Passover service. So the first cup is called the cup of sanctification. We talked about in week one or week two, excuse me. And what it does, again, it reminds us that God wants to bring the Israelites out of Egypt, and likewise, God wants to bring us out from under our bondage to sin. So therefore, the cup of sanctification is really salvation. The second cup is called the cup of deliverance, and God wants to bring us out from our bondage to the Egyptians. Just like the Israelites, 
they had been freed from Egypt, but they weren't free. They still acted like slaves. They still had the mindset of a slave. They had the attitude of a slave. They would do the things that slaves would do. They weren't living as God's people. And likewise, same thing happens to us. We get saved, we still have issues. None of us are perfect. We have to work through them, but God wants to bring freedom into our life, and that's what the cup of deliverance is all about. Unfortunately, a lot of us get stuck in the second promise. And we never go on to really experience the fullness of the third and fourth promise. And what we do is we get stuck and we just settle for less than God's best. Don't ever settle for less than God's best. If he's promised something, believe him, trust him, and pursue that promise. The third cup is called the cup of redemption. And that's the promise we're going to talk about here today. Let's look at that promise once again, just focus in on that verse, Exodus 6, 6. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. God promises to what? Redeem us. To redeem us. And redemption is an experience. When we're born again, we are redeemed. Again, there's the initial fulfillment of that promise. But how many of you know this? God is redeeming us. There is a redeeming work that is taking place. The Holy Spirit is doing a redeeming work in us. If you look up that word redeemed in the dictionary, there are basically three main definitions for that word. Number one, it's to buy back or to repurchase. Notice that it's not the purchasing of something, it's the repurchasing of something. And here's a great illustration. Jesus goes to a, a secondhand store. He finds you on the shelf. You're, you're forgotten, you're discarded, you're broken, you're mishandled. And he takes you to the owner and he says, how much? How much for this one? And the store owner says, everything you got. So what does Jesus do? He agrees, gives himself willingly, freely on the cross so that he can repurchase us from our sins. He repurchases us from whatever owned us. Look at what Paul writes. This really comes alive in this verse here, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Remember this. Jesus has purchased you back. Jesus has redeemed us. He's bought us back. And now we belong to him. The second definition of that word redeem uh, means this, to change for the better or to reform. To change for the better or to reform. And I would just say this again. Many of us are settling for second best. Don't settle for second best. God wants to give us a better life. Let me explain that. Look what Jesus said, John 10, 10. I have come that they may have life and they may have it what? More abundantly. You say, man, I hear that verse off a lot. That's right. I'm trying to get it into you. Because you know what? Too many of us are living under God's uh, sub substandard to God's promises. The Message Bible says that this wife came so they can have real and eternal life, more and better life than they've ever dreamed of. Many of us come to Jesus with one goal. Jesus, save me and keep me from doing wrong. But it shouldn't end there. It should never end there. Why? There's a redeeming work taking place in our lives. God wants to do so much more in our lives. Jesus came to give us a better life, a life that is fulfilled. And listen, that doesn't mean it's a, a trouble-free life, but he has indeed come to give us a better life, life to the full. So God wants to reform us, reshape us into the person he created us to be. Rather than what the world or what our, our sin has done to us, God wants to reform us, reshape us, give us a better life, fulfill his purposes. We have a redeeming purpose. We, we're like the clay that's been marred, 
but in the potter's hand, in our Father's hands, he can reshape us, remold us for a redeeming purpose. So here's the third definition of the word redeem. It simply means to repair or to restore. When I was younger, I loved muscle cars. I used to work in a grocery store, and every time the, the uh, magazine distributor would come in, I'd check him in, and I would just pull out all the muscle car magazines that he had. I want to make sure I got them because I just loved looking at how people would take those cars those old, and would just reform them, restore them to their original glory. And I believe when God takes us, he wants to repair us, he wants to restore us. Redemption is a work of restoration. And the Holy Spirit wants to do a restoring work in us. Why? To bring us back to God's intention, his original purpose for our lives. Look at this, Philippians 1.6. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it out to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Jesus has begun a good work in you. When you got saved, a good work began. But don't get stuck because God wants to do more in your life. So it's, if you're stuck, I just want to say that it's time to get unstuck. Jesus has already paid the price. He's already paid the full price for our redemption. Why not enjoy it? You say, Pastor, I am redeemed. Yeah, but are you being redeemed or are you stuck? There's a big difference. Again, this is not a question about salvation. This is a question about your growth and maturity and your freedom in Christ. Do you really have it? Are you enjoying life to the full? If not, it's time to get unstuck. Again, it's not a perfect life. It's not a problem-free life. It's not a worry-free life. But it is a better life, and it's a life that ends with peace and satisfaction. Sign me up for that anytime. It's just we live in a broken, fallen world. But in the midst of that, God promises us a better life. If you're not experiencing that, why not believe and hope for it? It's recorded in God's Word. Exodus 6, 6, again, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. How does God redeem us? He redeems us with an outstretched arm. Let's focus on that one first. I think many of us are in a much lower place than God intends. So you say, I'm born again. I praise God for that. But I think most of us are in a much lower place than what God intends. Look what the psalmist says in Psalms 42. He lifted me out of a slimy pit, out of the mud, out of the mire, and he set my feet on a rock, and he gave me a firm place to stand. Unfortunately, most of us don't see ourselves the way God sees us because we deal with inferiority. We don't see the greatness in us that God sees. Have you ever heard people say this? We are, we're all just wretched, nasty, broken, filthy, worthless, awful. They go on and on and on. That's true to an extent. However, I don't know about you, I'm born again. If you are born again, born into the kingdom of God, you're no longer under that bondage. It's true, but since we've come to Jesus and experienced new birth, we shouldn't embrace that inferior, inferior image of ourselves. Look at this, Psalms 18.35. If that didn't help you, hopefully this will. You have also given me the shield of your salvation. Your right hand has held me up. Your gentleness has made me great. That's not a boastful, bragging, arrogant Listen, in Christ, he's made you great. He, is, he has reserved us for greatness, for the greatness of God. Far too many of us feel inferior when it comes to understanding God's view of ourselves. God wants to lift us out of a place of not being able what God sees and put us in a place where we can see what he sees. Many of us deal with this inferiority and it holds us back from experiencing the fullness of God's promise of redemption. I'll give you an example. When I was in high school, 
I would have never dreamed of being a pastor and speaking in front of people. Just never dreamed. And, and here's why. I just felt inferior. I've, I've shared this before. Anytime it came to standing in front of the class, reading, or anything like that, anytime I had to take a, a vocal approach, someone had to hear my voice, my voice would crack. <laughs> and you know, what happens, you're like, oh, you just melt. And I just lived under that inferior uh, view of myself. I would just say this, if you, were, if you were able to get in your time machine, get in your DeLorean, drive back to when I was 18 years old, and say, listen, we know each other in 2021, and I want to share something with you. I want you to guess. I'm going to give you two options. Uh, number one, you're a preacher. Number two, you're a brain surgeon. I would have said this, how, how can that be? I made a C plus my last semester in anatomy physiology. Put it in perspective, there's just no way. There's no way. Why? Because I hated public speaking. I hated to be in front of people. And here's why. I just felt inferior. So I felt like if, my, if, I, if I stood before my classmates, I was just petrified to do that. I might make a mistake. They'd make fun of me, whatever. But look, God saw something that I didn't see. And frankly, he saw something that no one else saw. And God is the same with each and every one of us. He sees something in you that no one else sees. And what we got to do is get rid of that inferior view of ourselves. we got to allow him to lift us up and put us in a place where we can see what God sees. And too many of us are driving down the road of life. We're trying to navigate forward, but we're looking in the rearview mirror. We keep looking back. You can't allow that to happen. Why? If you do, you allow your past to define you. You allow the things that went wrong in your life to define you. You'll, you'll then begin to allow that inferior view of yourself to define who you are. We can't do that. Look at John 3, 16, one of the most famous verses in the Bible, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life, but don't stop there. Because verse 17 says, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that, through, that the world through him might be saved. And often we live with shame and condemnation, and it keeps us from becoming who we are in Christ. It keeps us from becoming what God sees us as, what he originally intended us to be. See, condemnation is from the devil. And condemnation goes this way. This is what the devil will do. He goes, you're a mess and there's no way out. But conviction is from God. And it says this, you're a mess, but here's a way out. This is how you escape. This is where you get to be where you need to be. It's a big difference. God, with a mighty outstretched arm, reaches down, wants to reach down to where we're at, pull us out and put us into place where we can see what he sees. You try to do what God wants you to do, but there's always that parrot on your shoulder, that parrot in your ear, and he whispers in your ear, and he reminds you of every reason why you shouldn't and why you can't do what God's called you to do. He gives you every reason. Satan, our flesh, this world will try to keep you from living, keep you living in the past, living apart from God's purposes and his promises, and listen, you can't be bound by mistakes. You can't be bound by the past. Look at this verse, Ephesians 2.20. I love this verse. There's a verse that, that you need to memorize. I think it's this verse. Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. God sees something in us that we don't see, and frankly, few others often see. I have a, a pastor friend of mine, he told me a story recently. He said, you know, 
When I was a teenager, God called me into the ministry. I let my pastor know. And there was one night after church, I heard my pastor talking with another parishioner from the church. He didn't know I was around. And he said, you know, so-and-so will never amount to anything in ministry. And he said that that his entire ministry career, up until recently, he has done everything to break that mold. And in fact, he went into a very unhealthy place trying to overwork himself, overcompensate for the words he heard his pastor speak. And his pastor, I'm sure if he knew that, would regret that and would apologize and, and uh, just repent for that. But listen, sometimes we allow words and what people say to define who we are, and you can't do that. You have to remember, what does God say about me? So it happens. People say things they don't mean or, or shouldn't say, and we hear them, and we allow them to define us. And if they define us, those words will keep us in a place that God never intended. Remember this, church. In Christ, you are God's masterpiece. In Christ, you are God's masterpiece. Let's go back to the promise again. Exodus 6, 6. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. God says he will redeem us with mighty acts of judgment. Again, it's not judgment against us. It's judgment against whoever, whatever the devil has done to tell you that you can't do what God's called you to do. It's, that's what God is calling into judgment. How does Satan try to do this? Well, how does he try to get us away from God's plan? I think there's two, two really simple ways we can look at, two t- simple tactics that he uses. Number one is he offers us a different path, a diversion. God wants to pull us out to work from where we are and so that we see what he sees and put us on the right path. But what does Satan do? He comes along and he always presents a diversion. And we're responsible to choose that path. I get that. Satan can't make us take that diversion, but he will create a diversion for us. And it's our responsibility to discern that and to choose it. But sometimes we choose incorrectly. Have you ever chosen incorrectly? You went down the wrong path. Isn't that what Satan did with Adam and Eve? A diversion? This is what God's plan is. This is God's promise. This is God's command, but here's another way. I mean, it goes right back to the Garden of Eden. Both success or failure can divert you away from God's plan. Often we think it's just failure. When we, when we mess up, when there's hurt, where there's pain, where there's mistakes, that we, we think as those as the diversions. But listen, Satan will allow you to have all the success in this world that you can ever have. In fact, he'll let you get so successful, successful that you can make all the money that you want and you can stack up all the bills that you want. And then you get to this place where you feel like, man, God's calling me to do something, but I can't do it because, you know what, I'm dependent on this job because now I have all this debt, all this responsibility. Life is just too hard to give up to do this. It's a diversion. It's a diversion. I know it's not for everyone, but it can be a diversion. God always provides a way of escape, though. He always provides a way of escape. See, Satan will say this, there's no way back. It's a lie. There's always a way back to God's plans and his purposes. Here's the thing, we just have to humble ourselves. It's the first step we have to take. 1 Thessalonians 2.18 says this, We wanted very much to come to you. And I, Paul, tried again and again, but Satan prevented us. The word prevented in the original language means to impede one's progress by placing something in the way. You ever had Satan put something in your way? He always does. He puts something in the way, and you have to make a choice. And you know what? There's times where we make the wrong choices, and we take the diversion. 
Sometimes we just needed to be patient and allow God to work in the situation. Satan will try hard, throw roadblocks in your way to divert you away from God's plans and his purposes. So, how, so what happens when we get diverted? Is there a way back? Yes, there's a way back. There's always a way back. Look at this, Romans 8, 28. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. So any path, listen to me, any path, I don't care what path you've chose, it, God can redirect you back to the right path. I don't care how far you run for God. I don't care how far, what you've done. There's always a path back to God's plan and his purpose. For example, there are many ways you can get from here to Dustin. Now, there's a short route, and there's the quickest route, but you can go all over this world and get to Dustin. may not be the best path, but you can get there. And God can do the same thing with you. You can take the wrong path. He can get you to the right place. Again, I don't care what path you've taken. There's always a way back. Don't listen to what the devil says. I've been through this. I've done this. No, it's a lie. You can't go forward looking back, church. You're going to run into something. You're going to stub your toe. Look at this. Romans eleven twenty nine. 29. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Irrevocable. Please hear me. God has never changed his mind about you. Never. He's never changed his mind about you. He's got a different view and perspective of you than what you have and what others have. Again, that doesn't justify sin or anything, but his plans do not change. The plans that God had for you yesterday, even if you messed up, he has for you today. Again, it may not be the prettiest path, but you can get back there. Why? Why did Jesus redeem us? Why did he redeem us with an outstretched arm? Why does he redeem us with many acts of judgment? And listen, he redeemed us so that we can... Uh, avoid the penalty of our sins? Sure. Did he redeem us so that we don't have to go to hell? Sure. But listen, if that's where you think redemption begins and ends, I'm telling you this, you're, you're not understanding the full promise of redemption. Redemption is much bigger than that. And there are too many of us that are not experiencing the fullness of that promise. Everyone in here, you have a gift. You have a grace gift. Every one of you, you have a grace to do something. God's given you a gift. God gave you a gift or gifts so that you can fulfill his purpose, not your purpose, because you don't belong to you. You belong to Jesus. So most Christians don't experience the fullness of this promise number three because they don't know their gift. They don't understand what God's plan is for their lives. How can you live a fulfilled life if you don't understand your gifts and your callings and your purpose? The answer is you can't. You're always going to fall short. You're always going to be frustrated. God is there more, and he's screaming, yes! Absolutely, there's more. Absolutely. I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. I'm going to show you where we get caught up on this. We get tripped up. Many of you will say this, I, I, I can't do this or I can't do that. But listen, because of whatever situation there is, but you can. I'm telling you something that most of you already know. Most of you don't know your gift, your calling, and your purpose. In fact, there's churches do studies and surveys, big churches, small churches, up to 87% of their parishioners don't understand God's plan and purpose for their lives. They don't understand their gifts and how they can be used. Again, listen to this. You are being redeemed for a redeeming purpose. If you're, not, if you're not in that process, you will feel very unfulfilled. 
I'm just going to say this. Nothing wrong with going to church. I love coming to church. But if this is the apex of your redemption experience, you are wrong. I love the promise of Pentecost. I love the promise of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But the church didn't stay in the upper room. But we will. We'll stay in the upper room until the cows come home, right? But that's not the purpose of Pentecost. It's an empowerment to do the work of the ministry. What is God's plan for your life? I'm going to ask this question a lot because it's similar. What is God's plan for his church? See, we often do this. We separate the two. Why? Why would we ever do that? And I ask those questions back to back for a purpose because they're one and the same. What is God's purpose for my life? What is God's purpose for his church? What is his plan for my life? What is his plan for his church? The ultimate fulfillment of these promises are in Christ. The body of Christ. Aren't we the body of Christ? The answer is yes. Jesus did not redeem us to fulfill your plan for your life. He redeemed you to fulfill his plan for your life. Your plans should fulfill his plans. So what is the purpose of the church? Well, that's real simple. Very simple. The Bible is very simple. God's word is very simple. We just complicate it, but it's very simple. The Great Commission, go and make disciples of all nations. Pretty simple. So let me ask you this. How are you helping make God's plan happen? Let me ask you this. If I were to say, okay, I want you to take out a piece of paper and pen. I want you to write down your gifts, your callings, and God's plan and purpose for your life. Most of you would not be able to put a sentence or two down. Honestly, know what God's calling is, his plans and purpose for your life, and how you're fulfilling it. The lack of words will be proof, be evidence that you don't know. And I'm telling you, you should know. We should know. Because how else are we going to live a fulfilled life? So God's plan is very simple. Win the lost, make disciples. Win the lost, make disciples. Well, I'm not a preacher. You don't have to be a preacher. There's many ways that we can win the lost and make disciples. So how are you helping God make his plan happen? How are you discipling someone or contributing to discipleship? So there are many ways you can help facilitate God's calling on our church to fulfill his plans and his purposes. So look at this, Ephesians chapter 11, verses, or excuse me, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 12. If you go looking for Ephesians chapter 11, you're going to be looking a long time. And he himself gave, look, some, some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Why? For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. My calling, listen, my calling as a pastor is not to do the work of the ministry. And that's what happens in so many churches, big or small. The pastor ends up doing the work of the ministry for the church. That is wrong. That is so wrong. My job is very clear. It's in Scripture here. Equip, train, encourage, release the church to do the work of the ministry. When that doesn't happen, God's plan comes to a screeching halt. And you know what's in the balance? People are in the balance. Souls are in the balance. There are, peop there are people we aren't reaching because, you know what? We don't know our gifts. We don't know our callings. We don't know our purposes, and we're not engaged in them. See, redemption goes beyond us. Redemption is something that touches the lives of every other person that we come in contact. Are we being used for a redeeming purpose? And if you're not, you're not living life to the fullest. When you're on course with God's plan and purpose for your life, you'll have more satisfaction than you've ever had in your life. Jesus redeemed you for a redeeming purpose. Everyone has a gift, 
and I'm here to help you to discover that gift. At some point, what happens, though, is this is what takes place. Well, I don't know what my gift is or my calling is. I don't know where to, you know, and you get very dissatisfied. And you go look for another church or whatever. Happens all the time. And it really just comes back to square one. It comes down to you. So if you're looking for satisfaction, just coming to church will not satisfy you. It will not. And I don't care how on fire the church is. I don't care how good the preacher is. At some point, the wheels fall off. And you'll always come back to this place. Why do I not feel fulfilled? We are the body. We're gifted. And we're called to fulfill God's plan and his purpose. But when we contribute to, the, to fulfilling God's redeeming plan, you will experience that fulfillment. Okay, what is a major hindrance to experiencing the fullness of promise number three? Staying stuck in promise number two is what will keep you from fulfilling promise number three. Staying stuck in number two, not experiencing freedom. When I was studying this week, I underlined this and I, bold, I made it bold and I put a little asterisk by it. I'm just going to read it as I have it here. If you get stuck trying to find freedom but you're trying to experience the fullness of promise number three, you will feel like you're being used and exploited. So if you're trying to experience freedom, and number two, and you're just stuck in a rut and you're not going anywhere, but you want the fullness of three of redemption, you're going to get very, you felt like you're going to feel like you're used, you're abused, you're exploited, no one cares, no one wants me, because you're not experiencing the full promise of number two. Here's why your perspective is shaped by your lack of freedom. And it makes you feel like you're giving in order to get free. Have any of you ever served in that place where you feel like you need to give in order to get? Does, when we give our tithes and offering, you'll never hear me say this, give to get. We give to give because Jesus gave and he's our leader. We follow his example. We don't give to get, we give to give. I mean, it just completely misses it. And if you don't have the right heart and mind, that even doesn't make sense to you. I don't, I don't give to get, but I've been in a place where I thought I need to give more of myself so I can have more freedom. And you know what you do? You just end up working yourself in a silly circle. And you feel like you're doing, 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 giving, 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 but nothing's coming in return. Here's why, because you're stuck in number two. Stuck in number two keeps you in that slimy pit. So I thought I was, I was saved. Listen, the Israelites were saved from Egypt, but they still had Egypt in their hearts. Egypt was in their minds. Egypt dictated how they responded to the promises of God. God, why did you bring us out to this desert to kill us? It would have been better for us to be back in Egypt. At least we had plates of food there. God, this man is not good enough. This water from the rock's not good enough. This quail's not good enough. I mean, your protection, your provision, I mean, there was no grocery stores, there was no Walmart in the desert, yet they survived. There was satisfaction. God provided for them. God took care of them. See, when you're, when you're not free, it, it obstructs everything. It obstructs the way that you see truth. So if you're stuck in promise number two, promise three looks very unfulfilling. Why, why give? Why, why do I need to be part of this or that? I mean, church is just trying to get something out of me. You are so stuck in number two that you don't even see it. Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free. You shall be free. It's not an if, it's not an ant, it's a, it's a promise. You say, well, pastor, I'm, I'm saved, but I'm not free. You can walk in freedom. The door is open, 
You just have to learn how to walk in it. And there's a way to walk in it. And sometimes, listen, if, it, if it's not working what you're doing, then maybe, just maybe, you might be wrong. That's hard for us to admit sometimes. So Jesus frees us from our bad habits, our poor attitudes, our opposing mindsets, un- ungodly behaviors. The list goes on and on and on. But most of all, Jesus frees us to fulfill his plan. Remember, that's the purpose of redemption. He bought you back. He repurchased you for a redeeming purpose. What is that? To do what he created you to do. But sin messed it all up. Lies have messed it all up. This world has messed it all up. And he's like, you know what? I want to buy you back off the shelf, broken, tattered, whatever, and restore you and give you the life that I intended to give you. Is it a perfect life? No. Is it a problem-free life? No. It is going to be a life full of challenges. But in the midst of that, you can fulfill your purpose, have more peace and contentment than you can ever imagine. It is a promise, church. Why are we living substandard? Why are we living below that promise? I believe God's begging that and asking us, that. why? Why would you ever do that? Well, I get so tired. I get so run down. I get... It is worth it. When you are living free, accomplishing God's redemptive purpose for your life, you'll have more freedom, more liberty, more life abundant than you've ever imagined before. Once again, I'd like to thank you for listening to this message. It was an honor to be able to spend this time with you in God's Word. If you have any questions or would like to find out more about Holt Assembly of God, please go to our website at www.holtag.org and connect with us there. Until our next broadcast of Life in the Spirit, I hope that you have a great day as you serve the Lord Jesus with a grateful heart.